Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. I appreciate you being here today on this summer day. We have many of our families who are out today. Uh, but hey, you're here and that is a good thing. You know, I want to thank you uh, on behalf of Dean and me. We uh, really appreciate your prayers. Many of you say, I pray for you every day, and you don't have no idea how much we appreciate that. Uh, thank you for your prayers this month. Dina had uh, two surgeries on her vision in Chattanooga by Dr. Tom Reynolds, our long, he and Barb are longtime partners of ours from Chattanooga. He is a vision specialist, eye surgeon extraordinaire, and we are extremely grateful for Tom and Barb. Tom and Barb, if you're listening to this, and I know you are, you have no idea how grateful we are for you and all that you helped this ministry to do over so many years. So everybody turn uh, today to Philippians chapter 3, if you will. I was uh, telling you the last couple of weeks that sometimes the Lord gives me assignments that I don't enjoy. But the Word of God tells me very specifically to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering, and to tell the truth. And uh, my job is to lead, feed, and protect the sheep. That's what a shepherd does, right? Lead, feed, and protect the sheep. Now, it's no secret that a lot of people don't particularly appreciate nor connect with certain uh, styles of leadership, and uh, there are certain uh, things that I do. I've said no so many times, I'm beginning to feel like a bedsheet. I've turned people down so many times. And uh, some are not mature enough to handle that. And uh, that's all right. Uh, God is bringing a core of family that He desires to come and worship here. And I want to remind all of you that whether you are in practice or in business or many of you are called into Christian service, can I tell you something from a man who has um, been around a few times? The edges always ebb and flow. Don't worry about the edges. Focus on the core. If you'll focus on the core, those who are faithful, those who believe in you and what you're doing, and don't worry about the edges. They're going to come in and go out. You'll be a lot better off. Well, see, that was just free information right there. And uh, I want us to look today at a message that is not very popular. This is our 13th session on learning to pray with passion and power. And uh, this, unless the Lord corrects me or adjusts me, this is our last 
message on uh, prayer in this series. Next Sunday, Father's Day, what a treat we'll have as Jeremiah brings us a Father's Day message. You want to be sure that you're here for that anointed time. Uh, it'll be uh, wonderful. I have uh, been asked next Sunday, uh, John Potter, who many of you know, is, um, has been a spiritual son for a long time. John's father is, uh, in the natural, he is uh, dying. And John has asked me next Sunday to come and minister to him and the church at uh, Canvas Church. So uh, I would appreciate your prayers. Hope you'll stay faithful here and listen to what Jeremiah brings to us next Sunday on Father's Day. Today we want to talk about, in conclusion of our series on prayer, persevering prayer, praying through disappointment, suffering, and silence. What do I do when I'm not seeing results on what I've been praying about? What do I do when I've been waiting for so long and there's no answer or breakthrough? What do I do when I'm in a place of suffering and God doesn't seem to be in a hurry? What do I do when I can't even seem to get through to the Lord? How does that affect my prayer? In Philippians chapter 3, I want us to begin reading here in verse 8. Paul writing in one of his last letters, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Somebody is shouting in the spirit back there, and uh, it's uh, all right. I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Listen to verse 10, that I may know Him, I've counted everything lost, that I may know Him, the word there in the Greek means to intimately, personally, by experience, know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship, the, the intimate fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may, watch this, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Here's a question for you. Why did Jesus lay hold of you in his love and grace? To give you a marriage, to give you a family, to make you rich. 
to make you well, to give you a place in heaven. None of the above. Christ Jesus laid hold of you so that you might become conformed and transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus, so that you may grow more and more and more into intimacy with your Lord. Can I tell you something? You can grow more and more and more and more into intimacy with the Lord, whatever state you're in today. Whatever state you're in today, doing greater suffering, rich or poor, married or divorced, educated or ignorant, children or not, job or none. You know why? Because God laid hold of you for one reason, and that is that you might grow in intimacy with Jesus. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you seeking with all your heart greater intimacy with the Lord? Sometimes the Lord tests me by the Spirit putting this test to me. Are you seeking what I can do more than you're seeking who I am? Are you seeking more of intimacy with me, or are you seeking more that I will show up and do something that you want or need? It's a haunting question, isn't it? Understand this. That our longing for life more abundantly can, some kind, some, can sometimes compete with our purpose in life. We ought to long and yearn for that abundant life. That we may walk in wholeness. Second John is, is very, very clear. Third John verse 2 says, I desire that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. You've got a shepherd who wants to provide for you. He wants you to walk in the fullness of the life. He re- but can I tell you something? There is nothing higher than intimacy with Jesus. Nothing. Nothing can completely satisfy you like intimacy with Jesus. So understanding that our purpose here is to grow into greater intimacy with Him. And remember, 2 Corinthians, let's go back to chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let's remind ourselves of what we saw briefly last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 18. But we all, all of us believers on this side of the cross, the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. That is, the glory of the Lord is being developed inside every believer. Everybody say, that's me. The glory is being restored in you. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you is transforming you into the image and likeness of Jesus. Even when you don't understand or realize that He's doing it. Everybody say this with me. God's ultimate purpose is to transform me into the image and likeness of Jesus. 
If you know that, it'll help you through some of the disappointments, the silence, the suffering. It is true that Jesus came that we might have life and might have it more abundantly. It is true that Ephesians 1, 3 is that God has chosen to give you every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's very, very true. It's also true with what Romans 14, 8 says, and that is whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to Him by divine right. But I want us to see something here in the passage we just read. The redemptive value of suffering when it is godly suffering. You know, some of our suffering is just self-inflicted. Some of our suffering is just because of the law of sowing and reaping that we have sowed certain things and we don't like the crop sometimes that we've sown ourselves. Some of our suffering is sowing and reaping. But how many of you know that sometimes there is a godly suffering talked about in the Bible? There is a godly suffering that has great reward to it. Notice what he says here again in the passage we read in Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him, that I, I may intimately, personally know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. I don't know about you, but I love to stop there. Don't you? I want to know the power of the resurrection, man. I want to have victory every single day. What I don't understand is the victory that is also in the last part of the verse. And Paul says, I want to know the intimate, intimate fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. <clears throat> what are his sufferings? We live in a fallen world, do we not? Yes or no? If you were walking under the headship and lordship of Jesus, would it be suffering sometime if you know God Almighty can fix it, and yet you're still having to wait patiently for Him to do anything? Is that suffering? Is that suffering? Well, only half of us know that. That's big-time suffering. Hardest thing you are going to do in this life is wait. It can get excruciating. Waiting on God to come through? Half of you act like you never know what that means. Listen, it's painful. It's suffering. Godly suffering has redemptive value in it. What does that mean? It means that there is a form of suffering that God will allow and even initiate for the benefit of somebody else. The highest measure of redemption is that the one who had never committed sin did something for your benefit. That's redemptive suffering. It has a value to it. How many of you know that sometimes the Lord will invite you into a place with Him where there's intimate fellowship with Him, where He knows that you're going to get to know Him more intimately than you've ever known Him, that all those little platitudes are not going to come true anymore, that you're going to have to get into a place where you intimately know Him. And that will involve some godly redemptive suffering. You're not going to have it your way as soon as you want it your way. 
Things are not always going to line up just peachy every day. There's some waiting. There's some suffering. There's some standing. I know this is not a popular message. My job is to tell you the truth, not to gloss it over. There's some godly suffering, redemptive, that is suffering that we do on behalf of somebody else's good that is necessary for all of us who would grow more deeply into intimate fellowship with Him. Now remember what our purpose is. What is our purpose? To know Him more intimately. That's our purpose. But pastor, how could you look at ongoing suffering and disappointment and silence and that God told us that faith overcomes the world, that we've been given the victory that overcomes the world, and we have. How many of you know you can't overcome something if you don't go through anything? How would you know you even overcame it if you didn't go through it? Overcoming is not the absence of adversity. Overcoming is the presence of the overcoming grace of God as you walk through whatever it is you have to walk through. I have said this to many of you who have suffered. Dean and I know this very, very well. Anybody who desires to be mightily used of God... It is inevitable that if you live long enough, you will go through a season of, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus, who is the Lord and captain of your salvation, if Jesus went through that, why would you think you'd get to escape it? It may be the death of a loved one. It may be a divorce. It may be a, a business crash. It may, it, may be, it may look like so many very different things. But can I tell you something? God's purpose is that we grow more and more in intimate love with the one who loves us beyond comprehension. There are certain things that deliverance does. But deliverance is usually a miracle that has a short period of shelf life. Development will last the rest of your life. Deliverance is good. Development is forever. And can I tell you something? God will deliver you, but He's more interested in development. Because that's how we learn to become more intimately in love with the Lord Jesus. I want to show you something here. Turn with me to the, toward the back of your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to go on a journey with me here, and we're defining what victory looks like, and it'll really help you sustain and stay in prayer. Because i got to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But without trust, you will eventually abandon your faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Trust comes when you ain't hearing nothing. And you got to learn to trust Him. 
And that is tough. Everybody say amen. That is rough. Amen? Boy, what a feel-good sermon today, huh? Are we having fun yet? All right. Hebrews 11. This is the faith chapter. Talks about Abraham beginning in verse 17 and how he received mighty promises. And it talks about the heroes of the faith. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Oh, the big guy, Moses. Right on down through David and Daniel. And oh, it, it says in verse 30, it was by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. And uh, by faith the harlot Rahab who did not perish with those who believed. That is, she hid the spies in the promised land. So they could have success. It talks about the mighty exploits of faith. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. They became valiant in battle. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. But now look at beginning in the middle of verse 35. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. I want to tell you all something that you're going to find hard to understand. Some of us have had to understand this the hard way. Sometimes, sometimes, there is something a lot higher than deliverance from physical death. Sometimes there is a graduation and an honor, and sometimes there is offered an assignment to certain people on this earth and I believe with all my heart they're given a choice to stay for temporary deliverance but eventual death or to come on and to receive an assignment unknown to anybody but the Father. There are those who accept assignments that are higher than just being raised out of a sickbed. Do y'all understand what I'm trying to tell you? This life right here on this earth, you ought to lay hold of it and you ought to go for it and you ought to pray and believe and stand with all your heart. But can I tell you something? This ain't it. You're gonna live forever and ever and ever. All of your days down here on this earth or just a breath. You're going to live for eternity. And what God is trying to do is transform all of us greater and greater into His image and likeness in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We don't have a... We see through a mirror dimly. So let's keep reading here. There are some... Who didn't accept deliverance but obtained a better resurrection. Still others had a trial 
of mockings and scourgings. Yes, even of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered around in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these obtained a good testimony through faith. They didn't get delivered. Wow, what do you do with that? This massive, wonderful list of great champions, and yet, here's another list in Holy Scripture who were just as great in their own assignment who didn't get delivered. What are you going to do with that? Who was victorious? Both groups. Both groups. There is an element of Christian, of Christian circles today who believe and teach that if you are in a mess, if your marriage or your family is in a mess, if you have a sickness, if you are in a crisis of financial, if you are not instantly and marvelously delivered, that is a failure of your faith. That is a lie. That is an accusation of the devil. It is not scripturally supported. But I'll tell you one thing that you can know and know and know and know and know beyond any shadow of a doubt, and that is that your God is at work right now to transform you greater and greater into His image and likeness. And your God is able to heal and deliver and save and bless and prosper and you know what you ought to do? You ought to go with all your heart towards the promises of God. Don't let one of them stay unclaimed. Do you hear what I said? Don't let one problem stay unclaimed. You go for it. But just don't forget your purpose in being here is to be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus lest you get overtaken by disappointment and silence and confusion. I want to show you something else. Turn back to the left just a bit to Hebrews 5. I want to show you something that is rarely ever spoken of in a public worship service. We're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about Jesus. Chapter 5. I have people say, well, is it weakness if I just break down? And No! Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, talking about Jesus. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, that is, respect and honor of his father, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. 
Now, don't misunderstand that verse. The verse is not saying he was disobedient and he had to learn obedience. No, he was already obedient. He went to another level of obedience by the things he was willing to suffer in obedience to the Father. Wow. Can I ask you something today? Every one of us are absolutely willing to be delivered right now, aren't we? From everything. We cry out for that. We pray for it, and rightfully so. But can I ask you something? If the Lord asks you to suffer along with Him, are you willing to suffer for the benefit of somebody else in redemptive suffering? If the Lord asks you to wait a bit before you see the promises fulfilled, if the Lord asks you to continue to believe and serve and pray for others and to minister to others while you yourself are in great pain, are you willing to do it? Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you're in those places of crisis, go ahead and do whatever you got to do to express your heart before the Lord. It doesn't make Him nervous. Scream, cry, take a baseball bat to a trash can. Do whatever you got to do. It's okay. In the days of His flesh, with vehement cries and tears, he cried out to his father. Hallelujah. Now, I don't want you all to have to go to court and testify that your pastor told you to go around beating up trash cans, but I think you get the picture. Turn with me back to the left to Acts chapter 12. I want to show you something mighty and powerful. We're talking about persevering in prayer. Chapter 12 of the book of Acts. How many of you remember that in Jesus' 12 disciples there was an inner circle? Who were they? Thank you, Mike. Peter, James, and John. James, the son of Alphaeus. Not, not, he, he, he was... James, he was John's brother, not Jesus' half-brother, who, who later became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. This is another James. This James was part of Jesus' inner circle. He would, he would bring James in and, and explain the teaching to him more further. He, he would always carry him as his inner circle and, and not only, look, he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration. They were always in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Watch this. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, this is after the coming of Pentecost, after the resurrection ascension, coming of the Holy Spirit, days of the early church. About that time, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then, verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
There were signs and wonders and miracles in the early church. I mean, how could God let this happen? This is one of Jesus' inner circle men. Go down a little farther. Verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. And so when he had arrested him, verse 4, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. He's going to put him to death too. Then look at verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But watch this, verse 5. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Wow! One of their champions has just been slain, but they didn't let their lack of understanding, their fear, they didn't lack their confusion stop them from praying. Constant prayer was offered for Peter by the church, and in the, in the context, you'll find out what happened. God, verse 7, an angel from God stood by Peter, entered that prison, set him free, led him out and brought him back into the fellowship of the church family who were amazed. Do you understand this? That Peter went on to marvelous, mighty exploits for the kingdom of God. That Simon Peter was used by God. He was literally looked at as the man. He, he, he's a man that was... Just a rock. Remember, Jesus called him a rock when he didn't look like a rock. He looked like shifting sand. The Holy Spirit used him to write two books in the New Testament. So what's the deal? How did James get beheaded? He was in the inner circle too. But Peter was delivered. What's the deal? Am I the only one that ever wonders stuff like that? Y'all, y'all got it or something? If you do, tell me. Are you ready for the answer? I don't know. <laughs> wasn't that great? Wasn't that worth working, waiting for? Here's what I do know. James and Peter and your purpose is to be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And I can also tell you this on the evidence of Holy Scripture. James got to go home a lot earlier and skipped a lot of the suffering that Peter had to go through. Big time. This ain't it, folks. God has a future beyond your imagination that you can only dream of that is waiting For you, your Father loves you. All He's asking you to do is to partner with Him in completing the assignment He's given you. So what should we do? And by the way, you know, you look at uh, Paul, a mighty man of God, wrote 13 books of the New Testament. 
He saw people raised from the dead. He saw people instantly healed. He saw people come to Christ by the thousands. He was in, in godly circles the mightiest believer on the earth. But have you ever really looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Have you ever thought about that a little bit? <laughs> Let me read just a bit of it to you. We're wrapping up here. Just a bit of it. Paul, uh, Paul says, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, I was beaten five times with 39 stripes each. Once I should have killed him. Three times, verse 25, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. On journeys, in perils, in perils of robbers, my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, per weariness and toil. Wait a minute, you get the picture here? What's the deal? The deal is what we read when we started this message. Paul says, I count everything but loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Are you in love with Jesus or are you in love with what he, you think he can do for you? Let me say that one more time. Are you in love with Jesus or are you in love with what you think he can do for you? Look, I know that we love him because he first loved us, but can I tell you something? We ought to be mature men and women by this point and not be following for the goodies. We ought to be pursuing the heart of God. How do I do that, pastors? There's only one key. Hebrews 12, 2 is the answer. Hebrews 12, 2 says that we're look, looking, uh, we are to run the race set before us, verse 1, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus. Can I ask you something? In this time of suffering, in this time of disappointment, in this time of confusion, have you, have you, ha, has your heart moved, or are you still looking to Jesus? Brothers and sisters, listen. The only thing that we can do that will be destructive is to take our eyes off Jesus. Can I tell you something? If you will continue to fix your eyes on Jesus, you will get through anything you've got to go through. If you will fix your eyes on Jesus... You can still obey confused. If you will fix your eyes on Jesus, you can go forward in obedience to Him when you don't understand why He doesn't seem to have come through for you. You know why? Because He is the author and He is the finisher of your faith. Do you know that maybe we need to shift questions about what the question is? Maybe instead of saying, God, why am I having to go through this? 
maybe we need to say, God, thank you that for whatever reason you considered me worthy and strong enough in Jesus that I could go through this heartache. And I praise your name that this redemptive value is going to, when you say so, when you do it, it's going to bring great value. Can I tell you something? The joy set before Jesus was full, unfettered presence with the Father. And it was worth it. If you'll fix your eyes on Jesus, whatever you have to go through will be worth it. And he will sustain and get you through anything you've got to go through. And can I tell you something? God, for whatever reason, has chosen people who will not relent, throw in the towel, pack it up, and leave who will just continue to fix their eyes on Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. You're going through deep disappointment. You're asking why. Maybe you're even saying, well, maybe... I should, have, I should have been able to, I should have been able to fix my marriage. I should have been able to, to keep my children in line. I should have been able to make more money. I should have been able to, to hang on to this or make this happen. I should have been able. Maybe you need to quit telling yourself that. And maybe you need to start remembering that God is telling a story through you. God is telling a story through you, and can I tell you something? You're not the author of it. There are parts of this story you wouldn't have chosen to write, but you are not the author. So you got a choice. You can become hardened and bitter and chunk it, or you can say, Jesus, I surrender to my purpose. I don't have to understand to submit to my purpose. And my purpose is to be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. It's all about intimacy with you. It's all about intimacy with you. Can you make that your prayer? When the storms of life hit you, will you be quick to say, Jesus, I invite you into this situation. I don't know what to do nor how to do it. But I invite you into it. If you tell me and prompt me to do something, I will. But the results are in your hands. It's all about you. Are you cooperating with the author and the finisher of your faith? I want you to bow your heads with me today. This has been a tough message. I know many of you here today have gone through long periods of confusion and disappointment, very difficult suffering. I want you to know that if you'll just submit to the Lord and partner with Jesus, that suffering will have redemptive value to it. It can be a blessing to somebody else. And one of the greatest, highest honors that we have in intimacy with Jesus is to go through that suffering of rejection, hurt, pain, disappointment, confusion, delay, 
recognizing with all our heart that we still have a purpose. You know, sometimes when things are going so great, when we're seeing mighty miracles and great answers to prayer, when we're seeing God move in a mighty way, sometimes we think, well, maybe it'll always be this way. Can I tell you something? Longing for life is not the same as submitting to life. And that life that you have has been given to you by the precious Lord. He trusts you. He trusts you. He trusts you to break the cycle that has haunted your family. He trusts you. He trusts you to handle things that he couldn't entrust anybody else. Oh, don't misunderstand, folks. God is not the author of sin. Your father does not initiate hurt and brokenness. But can I tell you something? He's a master at using what he doesn't initiate. He is mighty and almighty sovereign God. He loves you and is committed to your well-being. Can you trust him in that? Can you trust him in that? Do you know sometimes breakthrough comes after somebody has broken off the chains of expectation of what the hand of God to do can do and submitted to the heart of God? Can you do that today? Can you say, Lord, the pursuit of my heart is not that you would heal my finances or my body or my relationships. The pursuit of my heart today is my purpose to be conformed and transformed by your spirit into your image and likeness. So I admit, I, I, I want greater intimacy with you. I want to worship I want to pray. I want to listen. Open the eyes of my heart that I may see what you're doing. Clear the confusion, remove the clouds. But in the absence of that, I still trust you. Can you do that? God will give you the grace. In the absence of seeing your face, I still trust you. Hallelujah. Sing that chorus together. Turn your eyes unto Jesus. Just sing it right where you are. Look full. The things of earth will grow strangely dear. Oh, Lord Jesus, give us greater revelation, oh Lord. Father, especially today, I pray for those whose hearts have been pierced by a sword. I ask for your healing grace, Lord. The whisper of your spirit the revelation and the assurance of your love, of your mighty grace, 
thank you that whether we see it or not, your word is always true. You're at work to will and to do of your good pleasure. How we thank you and praise you. In the name of Jesus. And all the people said, amen and amen. It's going to be great next week. God bless you. Go with God. He's going with you. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.